Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live September 26, 2015. Today we have a quote. So why don't we start with that? Robin, will you read our quote? Please. You may need to turn your mic on first. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good health is the most precious gain, and contentment is the greatest wealth. Wait, let's do it like this. Wait, hold on a second. I'll read the Pali and then you read the English, because it's just this is a really good one to read. We used to sure. chant this. We used to chant this every morning in Thailand. 4:30 a.m. We do chanting. At the very end is this, right before Ajahn Tong gave his talk. Just read this and then. Arogaya Paramalaba. Good health is the most precious gain. Santuti Paramangdanang. And contentment is the greatest wealth. Visasa Paramayati. Trust is the best of kinsmen. Nibbanang Paramang Sukhang. And Nirvana is the highest happiness. And then we all bow down, get into position get comfortable and the crickets and the roosters still got recordings of these talks with the roosters blaring in the background pitch black and they're already crowing dogs barking in the background and then Ajahn Tong starts to speak Arogaya Paramala Bha Santuti paramang dhanang, isasa paramanyati nipanang paramang sukhang. It's funny that we end it with that. I don't know whose choice it was. I don't think I've ever seen another monastery where they do it, so maybe, just maybe, it came from Ajahn Tong. Probably not, but maybe, just maybe. Good health is the most... Ajahn Tong did a talk about this. He, of course, it's easy because we're saying it every day, so it's an easy one to, to come to mind. Good health, it's actually arogaya, which means freedom from roga. Roga is from the root... I think it's somehow from the root ruk. No, ruch, ruchati. I can't remember though. Roga, rug, rug, maybe rug, to something that, that bothers you, that afflicts you, an affliction. So there are four kinds of sicknesses. There are sicknesses that, comes from, that come from food. There's a lot of these types of sickness. There are uh, heart disease, diabetes. What else do we got? Cancer, you could argue, comes sometimes from chemicals that you eat. Sometimes from eating processed foods. Trans fatty acids, aren't they supposed to be carcinogenic? High blood pressure. That's heart disease, isn't it? Isn't that the same as heart disease? No. I think they're related, but I think they're different. Um, diarrhea, I suppose. Constipation. Allergies. Yeah, if you say that's caused by food, 
Actually, that one's maybe a different category. And then there's sickness that's caused by the environment. So this includes radiation poisoning, but mostly viruses, you know, airborne viruses, that kind of thing. This you could say sexually transmitted diseases or fall into this category. Um, it could probably, if you want to stretch it, you could include environmental hazards like breaking your leg or getting run over by a car. These can be considered diseases. I don't think they are. It's a bit of a stretch. It's probably not in the definition, but the same sort of thing. You know? It's not categorically different. A virus and getting run over by a car. You know? They both have... I mean, you could categorize them differently, but you could also categorize them in similar. So there's that. And then the third one is sicknesses that come from the mind. Mental sickness, mental illness. In Buddhism, mental illness is any defilement of mind, any unwholesome mind state, delusion, greed, and anger. Anything based on one of these three is considered a mental illness. So our idea of mental illness, all of us are sick. Anyone who's not an arahant is, is mentally ill. Only an enlightened being is, is, has, men, has proper mental health, which you know, is good and bad news. It's good news for those people who are kind of feeling awful about themselves because they had a mental illness, right? I suppose they might complain and think, what are, you, what are you saying you have a mental illness? You don't know what mental illness is. But I think it's important to not categorize people, to not categorize people as being in the category of mental illness, because that can lead to um, defeatism. What's the word? I think defeatism. You know, you feel like there's nothing you can do because you are a schizophrenic or you are a... Uh, OCD, you know, you are, you have HD, ADHD, like, like you have a third arm or something. I mean, it's not like that. There are the the, the organic aspects of certain mental illnesses. They say chemical imbalances and all that, but even chemical imbalances is, I'm, I'm, I don't know all the science of it, but certainly I would put a wager if I used money, and was a betting person on um, the idea that even chemical imbalances are often caused by men, by the mind. But anything that's, that's physically based isn't considered a mental illness. So some aspects of psychosis, schizophrenia, are probably based in the nature of the brain and can't be changed. But there's been studies done that even psych uh, psychopaths um, feel emotions, feel guilt. They're just able to hide it, and it's it's suppressed and that kind of thing. There's a study I was looking up on the internet, a peer-reviewed study on psychopaths. So even that, even in that case, which is considered, I suppose, one of the extremes, there's still the sense that there's a mental aspect that could change. So I, I, I mean, I think it's controversial and I'm probably going to get some more of these down votes for this, but um, I would say mental illness is a spectrum and it can change and you can be free from it. 
I'm not telling people to go off medication. I never have just told people stop taking medication, but I think no one should feel that they have to take medication for the rest of their life and that that's the solution. Yeah, in fact, I've said more than that, but we won't go into it. We'll talk about these. This is the most important category. The fourth category, I probably should have said it first, just so I could talk about the third category more. But the fourth category is those that are caused by karma. And it's related. It's also very important. But many physical sicknesses, might say some cancer, certainly a lot of, probably this is a category for all those uh, environmental hazards. And a lot more besides, you know. There's a lot we can attribute to karma. Past life karma. But some people are born, people who are born with uh, deformities or born with mental incapacity. You know? Limited mental capacity, however you say that. That would have to be based on karma. I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, many people will disagree, but from a Buddhist point of view, that seems like a, quite a clear one gotta be something you did at the moment when you were dying and be born with uh, mental incapacity even physical incapacity to be born with certain sicknesses that kind of thing it all has to do that still is based on the mind because karma what we know as karma is based on mental illness it comes from mental illness one of the dangers of mental illness all of the mental illnesses or the, the unwholesome mind states that we have have the potential to give rise to suffering in, in our next life potential to cause us to be reborn not just as a human with limited capacity but as an animal it can be born as a dog or a, a bug worm or worse you can be born as a ghost or in hell you know? There are bad places to be reborn. For mental illness, mental illness is the most important because if you have a physical illness from food or the environment, you can still be happy, you can still be at peace. But with a mental illness, you can never be at peace. Apologies. Technical improvement. So that's the first part. Contentment is the greatest wealth. This is an awesome quote. This is quotable. You know, you want to quote the Buddha? This is one of the best. Okay, here's another wall hanging for you guys. Find the Pali and the English. Put it on a piece of cloth that turns into like a hanging wall thing. And send it to us. We want that. Did you just get a beeper to die? That was you. Oh, sorry, Facebook's open in the background. I'll just close that. So of all the of all of the acquisitions, all of the possessions in our life, there's no greater if you ask someone what is the greatest possession? What is your greatest possession? What is if you could have one thing, what would you like to have? It's a riddle, a wonderful riddle. What is the what? What is the one thing most worth possessing? One possession most worthwhile: contentment. 
suppose you could argue Nibbana is better. But Nibbana and contentment are very much related. Nibbana is what leads to true contentment. Because it's, it's not impermanent, right? So it's the only happiness that could possibly satisfy. But the very nature of it means it's in a category, different category. Hard to really explain, I think. But we won't, oh, that's number four as well. So Number three means, well, it's quite clear. I think trust is the best kinsman. I think Visasa actually means familiarity. But the point is, blood is blood doesn't make you a relative not in buddhism in buddhism we call people our um they say in thai which means relatives in dhamma so all of you are our family are my family our, our extended family this is this group we are a family an extended family let's say the immediate family are those of you who are have come to do courses with me or doing online courses. But uh, this is real family. Like this, we're a real family because there are lots of other meditation traditions out there and they, you could say, well, they're our distant cousins or relatives, but we're related to them, but they're not our immediate family. You guys are, this group is a family, family unit. Not a large family unit, but that's the greatness of it. Why? Because we have the same goals, we have the same aspirations, and the same ideas, the same views. Because we care for each other and we wish each other success in our goals. We're, we're aligned in life. We support each other spiritually, physically. We send love to each other, so we have great love for each other. That's what makes a family, right? So, not blood. Nibbanang paramang sukhang. Nibbana is the highest happiness. Someone asked Yamaka, this monk Yamaka. Yama, Yamaka. Yamaka? Yamaka. Asked Sariputta once. I think it was Yamaka. Asked Sariputta, how can Nibbana be happiness if there's no feeling? Because Nibbana is, before you get to think that Nibbana is just some crazy heaven idea that Buddhists have. Nibbana is more sophisticated than that. Nibbana logically makes sense that it would be the highest happiness. So he asked him, how is it possible without happiness, without feeling? How is it possible without Vedana? How is it possible that Nibbana can be happiness? Anyone know the answer? Do you know the answer, Robin? I don't. The answer is, it's precisely because there is no Vedana that Nibbana is the highest happiness. Because Vedana is Dukkha. Vedana is unsatisfying. 
the whole problem and the reason why the Buddha framed his teaching the way it was is because he realized Nibbana. And he therefore realized that the problem wasn't that we didn't have happiness. The problem was that we were bombarded continuously by suffering. And so if you remove all of the suffering, that's what the only thing that you could possibly mean by happiness. So this, we've had, we've had arguments about whether it's good to translate dukkha as suffering and whether it's good to talk about the Four Noble Truths because it turns people off. But really, I don't think it turns people off as much as people say. I think critics will use it as a way of attacking Buddhism, but they want to attack us anyway, so let them. Um, and, and, and secondly, that it's important to be honest and to be clear, because if you don't talk, if you talk about happiness and not freedom from suffering, you give people the wrong idea. They get confused like Yamaka did. How can it be happiness? Because they don't understand true happiness. They don't realize that the things that they're clinging to as happiness not actually making them happier. So that's our quote for the day. A very good one. If you just came here for that, you're welcome to go now. Next up, I think today we'll do announcements next. If you have questions, you can start typing them. We'll get to them, some of them. But the announcement of the day is we're going to have a res our first, well, okay, two announcements, I suppose. We're going to have our first residential course at the Sirimangalo International Meditation Center. Yes, we've, I've decided on a name. Uh, your grand dictator. We didn't put it to a vote. I decreed and it was so. I mean, whatever, we could vote on it, but I'll just say I want this name anyway, so. Why? Because it's a simple name. It's not as ostentatious. If someone's got a better name, bring it up, but it it, it identifies us because we've used the name Siri Mongolo for so long. It, it, it dedicates it to Ajahn Tong, which is highly important. So we'll call it in Thai, Wat Siri Mangalo Nana Chat. Oh, there you go. The, the, the Siri Mangalo International uh, Monastery. So we'll, we'll have two separate names for it, the SIM and the SIMC. When we're talking about the monastery, it's the SIM. When we're talking about the meditation center, it's the SIMC. There we have two acronyms. But for, for, for lack of confusion, we'll mostly be using the one SIMC. But when we talk about the monks, SIM. Awesome. It's Mark Shuttleworth, a benevolent dictator. Anyway, um... Right, so that was the announcement. I think that's it. That was two announcements. Name and course. Right, but about the course, Reading Week for McMaster University is coming up next month. So October 10th to 10th to 18th. It's a nine-day course. 
You can come for part of the course. You can come for the whole nine days. It costs you per day absolutely nothing, completely free. We'll give you lodging, food, and teaching for free. Food is provided, but you have to eat only in the morning with us, and you have to eat what we give you. So if you're vegetarian, let us know. I should probably put that because we can prepare vegetarian food, but um, sometimes people who want to make us food, they just decide to make us food with meat in it. So I think actually they know about vegetarian, the whole meditation course and vegetarianism, so wouldn't be surprised if they were planning vegetarian anyway, but <clears throat> we will have food, probably frozen food. It sounds like we'll have food in the freezer and People will just heat it up. I don't know exactly how that will work. It's a logistic thing, but we'll figure it out. Anything else? I had a really funny thing happen to me Friday, and I didn't mention it yesterday, and I didn't mention it. I was walking in the campus at McMaster, and this Chinese man came up to me. I know he was Chinese because I asked him later. Uh, he's only been here. He's he had a he had a very thick accent. He hasn't been here that long. And he said, uh, "Are you supposed to be some? Are you some? No. Uh, what did he say? Are you some kind of? I don't even think he finished that. But he said, "What are you? Or is this cosplay?" <laughs> <laughs> This is some kind of some kind of cosplay, which I understand to mean uh, putting on a costume, right? Robin, what is cosplay? It's it's putting on a costume like um, like the, that you might do at uh, you know Comic Con or something like that. A comic so, convention. Yes, dress up like a superhero or a, like uh, somebody in a movie or something. So <laughs> I don't know what what movie I'm from, but uh, that was, it was interesting, no, philosophically a bit interesting, um, because I was talking about it later, it, this is really a sign of the first wave, um, that these are people who have never seen a Buddhist monk before, and so it's confusing, and it's this uncertainty. It's the barrier between having no concept of, or very little concept, because people have heard of these. You know, they know the Dalai Lama and so on. But to have no thought in the mind that becoming a monk is a possible avenue for the future, right? A possible choice of a life path. To to seeing someone uh, in Canada. A Canadian undertake the path and that's I mean that's kind of you could say it's important it's profound or it's you know it's a great thing but that's not really what I mean it's just it's um, well I guess kind of that it is a cool a good thing it's uh, but it was more how it hit me that oh yes the, the, this is happening because really this is new this is new to people it's not new in Canada there are other places they're doing it but in this part in this area to most of these people 
This is something new. It's not even just being a monk, it's being a, a Canadian. The real reason, I think, why people approach me with questions like that is because I'm not Buddhist. You know, I'm not, I'm not Thai. I don't have Asian facial features. So clearly this is out of place. Clearly this is someone playing at something. I've gotten on YouTube comments, and I probably still get them, but I don't read my comments on YouTube that much. Um, how, you know, this dude's white, fake monk, yada, yada, yada. Um, because it's not, uh, monks are Asian, right? So what people know about monks is it's something that people in Tibet do, or if they're really into it, Japan, Thailand, Sri Lanka. But it's, or, or it's something that spiritual tourists do, right? So if I want to be a monk, why am I not in a Buddhist country, right? That's where Buddhist monks are. They're in Asia. Westerners go to Asia to become a monk to live in Asia. They don't become a monk to come back and be... There's no monks in Canada. Monks don't live in Canada. There are now, thanks to the Ajahn Chagra and others. But we're still rare. And that's really the point. It's a difference between a Buddhist monk in their native environment and a Buddhist monk in the first wave. Being the first times, the first time society has has, has had to and has to, had to ask these questions, or has had to have this question put to it: What is a Buddhist monk? How does a Buddhist monk fit into society? What is this? Something new, right? So that's kind of kind of neat to think about. No. Anyway. Cosplay, that's a new one. <laughs> and it's funny because his English wasn't even that good, so it's funny that he knew what that word was. I bet they use the same word in China. And he had this Thai amulet, not even a Buddha on it, but like five symbols of five chedis. It was just a metal thin one, thin copper. It looked like it was old, but usually they fake it, so it's not really old, but it looks old. You know, all you have to do is use certain chemicals or bury the thing for some months and it looks like you can make it look really, really old. It's a big thing in Thailand. And he said, yeah, some of them, these amulets are, because you know, there's such power in them, some of them go for 10,000. This one was only about 200. And at first I thought he meant baht, but then I thought, no, that's not right. He must mean, you mean dollars? You paid $200 for this little piece of... And I said to him, you know, I'll get you one for free. And I said... And they said, oh, but it won't be. And I said, look, the real ones have to come for free. If you paid for it, that's not right. And so I gave him my address, and maybe he'll show up one day. I don't think he'll be that impressed with the ones I have, because they don't look old. They were given by my teacher, or by someone. Someone gave them to me. I think they have my teacher's image on them. Do you have any questions? We do. Bhante, I'm having trouble grasping the rationale for the self not actually existing. What leads us to that conclusion? Who said the self doesn't exist? What self are you referring to? Whose self are you referring to? Buddhism doesn't think in those terms. 
In Buddhism, we don't think in terms of entities at all. That's the whole concept of non-self. Reality isn't based on entities. It's based on experiences. Each experience arises and ceases. It's a paradigm shift, really. Your question only makes sense in a Cartesian, I don't know, maybe, yeah, Cartesian dualistic, not even the dualism, but the whole four-dimensional space-time, you know, impersonal, non-experiential reality, the idea that there is um, a universe out there, like uh, to take Chopin, um, what's his name? Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat. So we say the cat is both alive and dead. But really what it means is the cat doesn't exist. The cat only exists in the context of the sequence of events that you're referring to. So if you're referring to a certain sequence of events, the cat is alive. If you're referring to or a certain a frame of reference, when the cat is alive, a different frame of reference, the cat is dead. Um, but uh, Schrodinger's cat does actually show there's a there's a potential flaw. I mean, one theory, and there's many theories of why it is that way. But one theory is that there's just a potential flaw in uh, the idea of an of a third person, or sorry, an impersonal uh, four dimensional space time universe. We certainly don't experience such a universe. Our experiences are of Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and thinking. We can only extrapolate. And self is the same. Self is in that category, the category of the cat. Read up on uh, Schrodinger's cat. You want something really weird, learn about quantum physics. And the only way it, not the only way, one of the ways it makes sense, I mean, the clearest way it makes sense, is to stop abstracting, stop uh, extrapolating. Take reality, understand the difference between experiential reality as being the basic building block of experience, of reality, and any kind of abstraction. Self, what does it mean, self? You know, what do you mean? It's just a concept. You don't experience self. Experience is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. There's no sense that even I experience. There's just experience. Abstractly, you can say, well, Robin's experiences are different from mine, but that's still an abstraction. That's, that's, that's your mind thinking that. I mean, for example, you don't, I don't even know that Robin really exists. It might be a solipsistic universe. I might be the only person to exist. It's not, it's not important to think that way. It's not reasonable to think that way because, well, like, if I exist, why doesn't Robin exist, right? It would be so special. Why should I think... I exist when she doesn't. You could argue, well, because my experiences are obviously real, hers, who knows? But, um, you know, there's two ways that can go. It doesn't really matter which way it goes, because either way, your experiences are your experiences, but there's no sense of them being yours. There is, but that's wrong view in our minds. That's the whole problem. We cling to these things as me and mine and get upset when they're not the way we want them to be. Well, we shouldn't. I guess one thing I could say is just don't over-intellectualize it and don't ever say there is no self. The Buddha never said it. 
but you can say that the idea of self makes as much sense as the idea of the cat, yeah, which is none, you know, it doesn't really exist. Why? Because there's no framework within which it could exist. If the four-dimensional space-time framework is, um, is false, and even not even four-dimensional, but any kind of framework for in which entities could exist is just a concept doesn't doesn't hold up by in, uh, based on ex inspection what doesn't hold up to inspection next question Bhante, is nibbana free from or outside the realm of the three characteristics nibbana is not free from the third characteristic even nibbana is not self but nibbana is free from impermanence and free from suffering so good question. It's free from the first two, not the third one. Now you're trying to trick me into saying, ah, well, then isn't Nibbana self? No, even Nibbana is not self. But that's really just a no-brainer. Some people have complained about even asking that question because self can only apply to things that have arisen. It can only apply to things, right? Nibbana is... Yeah, you know, you can't say it's no nothing. It's not nothing. But it's all just semantics, in a sense. Oh, about the course, one more thing is it's on Facebook. I don't think I said that. So if you go to my page on Facebook, uh, you'll see the event, You can, I think, and you can sign up if you want to come. But I'm assuming most people here are too far away to come. If you want, come. It's worth the trip, though. Free frozen food. And meditation. Oh, yeah, that too. I heard somewhere that, I heard somewhere that we're in the 100 years that Buddhism is most popularly practiced. Is this true? No, I don't think so. Some people say there is a renaissance. Like, I think there's some prophecy that after the halfway point it was going to be a revival or something um, but the oldest philo the oldest um, philosophy what is it um, prophecy the oldest prophecy is that we are now in the let's see the first 1000 years Second, I think anyway, Ajahn Tong has said that we're in the, the that one thousand years, the eon, right? Eon is a thousand years, millennium, the millennium, uh, where in Sukha Vipassaka is going to be the the pretty much the best thing we can do is to become a arahant through the practice of vipassana without jhanas. So I think that's why he pushes this technique and, and actually is somewhat critical of people who try to practice samatha. He says, why are you worried about silver when you have gold? And that's true. Samatha is definitely silver. It's not gold. The gold medal is is vipassana. And maybe that's not quite accurate, but the, the gold standard of practice is vipassana. It's worth more than samatha. Yeah, people argue that, but argue that there's no distinction, yada, 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 but it doesn't really hold up. And Vipassana is the gold. 
So there's a reason why he, you can still say that Samadha is useful. Silver is good and it's useful. But one reason why he's fairly critical of it, I think, is because of that prophecy, because he's mentioned it. He says, you know, this is the 1,000 years when Sukhavipasaka is going to be the path. Do we but, know when when that 1,000 years started? Well, it's 5,000. We're going by 5,000, so we've gone through almost 3,000. Okay. At the end of 3,000, there's probably the idea is it's going to be really unlikely that people become arahant. Um, maybe even impossible. But then, I mean, it's just a prophecy. But then that fourth thousand, the first fourth millennium, or in the third millennium, the fourth millennium is going to be the millennium uh, with Sotapanna, Sakatagami, and Anagami. So no one will become an Arahant, but they can still become Sotapanna. And the fifth thousand years is when people are going to just be able to practice Vipassana, but not become enlightened. So they can become Jula Sodapana or that kind of thing. And after 5,000 years, no one will practice Vipassana, I think, something like that. And that's when the, approximately when the next Buddha would appear? No, the next Buddha is coming when people have a lifespan of 10,000 years. Through, probably through um, genetic modifications and what was I thinking you know it's interesting if some of this talk about people transhumanism or something right I bet that has something to do with the idea that people live 10,000 years once it, you know if we finally get our SIHT together we'll uh, and stop killing each other and stuff persecuting each other fighting with each other and we will come together and figure out a way to really bring happiness to the world. More questions? We, we do, yes. What is the thing that is being rebirthed? Nothing is ever reborn. I've got an answer on Stack Exchange. If you want to go, go to buddhism.stackexchange.com. How's Stack Exchange doing, Robin? Stack Exchange is doing well. Um, yes. Um, things are very quiet now. Quiet the, is Yes. Still not going back, though. I still feel it's gone in the wrong direction, but that's my, my opinion. Anyway. But the, the recent drama has subsided. It's nice to see. Nice Good. and calm. Good to hear. So entities aren't experienced? And if they are, why not think of them as entities? No, entities aren't experienced. Unless by entities you mean experiences. But a cat is never experienced. You never experience a cat. That's the real paradigm shift that has to go on. It occurs around Banganyana, I think, the fifth stage of knowledge. Banganyana is where you finally cut through the idea of concepts. So it's it's a challenge. I mean, for most people, that's nonsensical. The whole idea of what I'm saying, it just doesn't make sense because you haven't been there. You haven't been down to the nitty-gritty of reality enough to be able to see things arising and ceasing and understand that really 
this body doesn't exist, for example. So I can't easily answer that question. Bhante, if parents had strong attachments to a child that is ordaining, what are the rules regarding their visiting or vice versa? There are very few rules. In fact, there are a lot of rules that are meant, made to accommodate familial uh, relationships, probably with this sort of thing in mind. We're allowed to, like right now it's the rains, and so I can't technically travel unless it's for teaching. But if my father, something happened to my father, or if I knew that he wanted to see me, he wouldn't even have to invite me. And because he's my father or my mother, my mother's a little further away, but I could just hop on a bus and go and stay with him up to seven days. Um, you know, there are rules of sitting with your mother alone in a room just because there's no exception made for your parents as far as if you're a man and she's a woman. She's a woman, but yeah. And if you're a woman, then towards your father, for example, or brothers and sisters. Now, brothers and sisters, there's less allowance because there's less of a sense of the importance of the connection. You know, again, but for your parents, there's definitely an understanding there. So, you know, it's, I think it's pretty easy. If you can get your parents to come out to the monastery, everyone's really happy. I had my mom stay with me in the monastery two times when I was in Los Angeles. She came out for my birthday because my birthday is often very close to Mother's Day, usually very close to Mother's Day. And one year it actually landed on Mother's Day. Uh, so she came out that year for, we had a big celebration for Mother's Day and her birthday, and my birthday. And uh, we did it twice. But the first time it wasn't the same day, it was my birthday. Second time it was my birthday and Mother's Day. So the second time we took nine robes and we took a caravan of vehicles around to nine different monasteries and we just placed the robes in the monasteries and ran away. And the people who were, everyone was, there was this train of mostly Thai people. And um, many of them were confused as to what we were actually doing. So the whole morning we went from one monastery, because I didn't really talk about it too much in advance. It was just people were wanted to join us. And so they were wondering, you know, why aren't we offering? And someone, we got to one monastery and they said, okay, we'll call the monk over so you can offer it. He said, no, 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 don't, don't call. And I had to give a, explanation that for lunch we went for lunch to someone's house and then i gave a talk to explain what was going on but, uh, this was the offering robes the tradition of offering robes as a rag robe we were throwing this cloth away actually but we we're being sneaky about it so we we're throwing it away in such a way that the monks were likely to find it so they could use it but they could use it but still be considered that they weren't um, going for a luxurious robe, they were going for rags, cast-off rags. So it's just a tradition. They use that tradition nowadays. I was kind of making a point as well to use the tradition as it should be used. I mean, if that sounds kind of flaky, the idea of, well, you're not really, they're not really cast-off robes because it's a nice set of robes. Uh, the way they do it now is they have this set of robes under the tree, but they, they, they bring this tree into the monastery and the tree is covered in money. 
or it's even made out of money sometimes. And the whole, anyway, I don't want to go into it. It's too long of a story to explain exactly what goes on. But suffice to say, this tradition of, of uh, throwing out robes right where the monks are likely to find it, it actually goes back to the Buddhist time. And it's kind of beautiful. It's a bit of a cheat, and it's certainly not exactly rag robes, but still, it's kind of a beautiful tradition. The one about using money, I don't find it as beautiful, but whatever. Uh, next question. Did I answer that one? Yes. yes. Next question. Bonte, will you be holding more residential retreats in the future? Um, yes, something to note about this residential course is it's actually just advertising. It's actually just moderate, moderately clever advertising, I hope. Because it seems that if there's not a course scheduled, people just don't come. So um, we have to schedule a course. If we don't schedule it, people don't come. But honestly, you can come anytime. Residential courses are ongoing. It's so on our website. And that's useful for two reasons, or at least two reasons. One, you get to start whenever you want according to your schedule. You don't have to fit our schedule. And two, it staggers people. So we can say, no, we're only accepting a few people uh, because you could just come at a later date. With these all-at-once courses, they're really taxing on the monastery. They're, they're not the best, most efficient means of uh, conducting a course because... I only have a certain amount of time every day, although I'll be off on reading, reading week, so it's a good time. And, um, you know, we need more food for everybody. We need to put people, like the accommodations are limited, that kind of thing. So uh, if you really want to do a course, you can come anytime. But again, it's like people want to schedule. They want you to tell them when you're having the course, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go for this nine-day course that they're having. I just made that up, you know. It's not really a thing. But it's psychologically, it's it's amazing how much of a difference it makes. It does. You have a solid period of time to plan for. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're doing a thing that you can get a certificate for or something. I did this course. I was there at that course, you know. As opposed to, oh, it's as long as I want it to be. Okay, well, that's kind of vague. You know? But if you think about it, this isn't... This isn't like, what? This isn't like getting your bachelor degree or something. It isn't like a, it isn't a certificate course. You will not get a certificate at the end of this course. I tried that once, and boy, did people go crazy over that. Everyone was so happy. People were flying over just to get their certificate, just to do this certificate course. And oh, it was terrible because then, at one point. I left, and people still wanted their certificates, and they were demanding their certificates. Not exactly demanding, but really nagging about them. And I said, look, I don't even have a certificate. I've done all these courses, and I never got it. Your teacher doesn't have this certificate. So what good is it? I don't think that's good for our defilements to get certificates. No, because then you can fail the course and not get a certificate. How terrible would that be? I can't fail my course. <laughs> I must stop. 
I'm in Texas and I'd like to find a meditation course most parallel to yours since I won't be able to make it to Canada for some time. What do you recommend I keep in mind for my search for a worthwhile course? Find something in the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition. That's our family. Yes. We, we actually have someone uh, working on putting together a, a list of Mahasi Sayadaw centers. And, uh, oh, there's a guy, um, Aruna, is here. Aruna online? Anyway, Aruna uh, knows someone in Vancouver. And I said, get me his contact information because we should have him on on our Friday thing. It's a perfect time. And in fact, we should find all these North American or potentially European Mahasi teachers and get them all on here. We should interview them. There's a guy in Las Vegas, a really neat monk in Las Vegas. Apparently an awesome teacher. Let's find somebody in Texas we can interview. Bhante, you might have answered this before, but I'd like to ask again, what are your thoughts on student loans? I'm still in college and I feel I'm building up an attachment on something I know will not bring permanent happiness. Well, there's no way your student loan will bring you permanent happiness. I can guarantee that. Um, but I assume you're thinking of your job, which, of course, also cannot. I mean, there's no no question that it's not going to bring you permanent happiness. Your student loan is an investment. Unfortunately, if you're especially if you're in the United States, it's a rather increasingly poorer and poorer investment, right? But it's not your fault. It's just greedy people's fault because... I, I mean, it seems blatantly obvious to me. I might be being deceived, but from what I understand, the American system is a mess, and it's it really has become, an, what do they call it, an oligarchy. You're not living in a democracy anymore, as far as I understand. You're living in an oligarchy, which I guess means a small group of people are controlling your country in many, many ways. And hopefully that changes. Hopefully... I think this, wait, let's find out if this person's in America because it's really the most Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Seth is in Ethiopia? Oh, no, Henok. Henok, yes. Come yes, on. I've read. That's got to be a joke. Really? We have some from someone from Ethiopia? Maybe originally from Ethiopia. Or are you actually in Ethiopia right now? But yes, regarding the Olia. Can't say it right. <laughs> yes, I read that a lot too. Because to be a candidate for you know political office, to be a candidate for president, you must have many millions. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not now, something a poor person they, can do. This these super PAC things, and you can even if you run, if if you don't have the billionaires funding it, you're, mm. no, so. Uh, okay, in the U.S., I assume, because really the rest of the world has, you know, may not be perfect, but the rest of the world at least isn't. I'm sorry. As a Canadian, I shouldn't talk about the United States because our bias tends to show. It's uh, very expensive to go to school in yeah, the United States. Yeah, and the student loan program is is messed up. I was just reading today about the student loan program there. 
is the worst actually for people who for the middle class the people if your parents work you can't get a student loan right so, so i mean it's harder to get the grants and uh it's harder they were, so they were saying uh, poor poor people who are really poor can actually can at least get a student loan right but if you're starting to get well off and your parents work people were saying you know i can't even get a student loan or something like that. yeah harder to get a grant for sure get a grant. yeah unfortunately you may be settled with many many student loans and um, a lot of people end up graduating from college owing a hundred thousand already and it's just a tough way to start your life but in canada we have we're not perfect but tuition is much cheaper and um you know most of the tuition is actually forgiven is actually a grant i mean in my case anyway my tuition is pretty much a grant and then they give a loan for your for other expenses which i don't really have So sorry, I didn't ever actually offer you anything of any use, but um, sorry, I went way off on a tangent. I apologize. Um, what should you do? I mean, I guess that is important to realize that in the U.S., it's um, you know, problematic because if you're going back to Ethiopia, it's I assume it's worth a lot more. There's a guy I was I don't know if I mentioned this guy from Nigeria. Yeah, I think I mentioned him sitting in class talking to him. And he said there's a lot of a lot of opportunities for him back in Nigeria. There's a lot of corruption as well, but um, But certainly none of it's gonna make you happy. The Buddha said, Inadanang Dukang Loki. Being in debt is suffering in the world. In this world. Now, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, um, and this goes back to a question I think we had yesterday or recently about which kind of job is best, I would definitely, if I were to go back to to to, you know, if I were to go back to school, if I were looking to get a job, um, well, maybe I'd look in the IT industry because I've gotten pretty good at it. But no, I would, I would like become a carpenter or something, an electrician maybe, you know, some skilled laborer where you can make money and not have too much to worry about. Certainly not have to use your brain that much, um, but be skilled enough so that someone with patience, endurance, and a good character could build up a reputation and make some money. I'm assuming electricians, plumbers, these kind of people still make reasonable livings. I don't know why you wouldn't want to become someone like that. So well, that's what I would do. That's what I would think to do. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like a decent occupation. Honest labor, you know, helping people. Well-paying, you know? I don't know. I mean, something like that. wouldn't want to get into marketing or being a business person. And I wouldn't want to work a, a nine-to-five office job. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just... If I had, you know, if I had it, if I were in that position where I was thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I think it's reasonable to become a skilled laborer. You know, like this guy, uh, Gatakara, Gatakara, he made pots, craftsman. 
of course, pots nowadays are are either mass produced in China or they're you know uh, what do you call boutique items. But in that time, a pot was something that everybody needed. So it was uh, he was a skilled laborer making things that people used on a daily basis and that broke on a daily basis, so needed to be remade. I think it's a similar sort of thing. And he, but he didn't market them either. He just put them by the side of the road and said, hey, take what you want, leave what you want. It's actually a brilliant marketing campaign. <laughs> Very genuine. Absolutely. But that probably doesn't help you in either. Um, I don't know what kind of answer you want. Should you drop out of university? Is that the answer? Probably. Probably you should drop out. If you're talking about university, I would say probably. In all likelihood, it's, you know, unless you've got a plan to go back to Ethiopia and you know that an American degree in Ethiopia is worth a lot, which it probably is. If you plan to live in the United States, um, I don't see university as being all that useful, personally. Unless you're going to law school, or you know, but then you want to become a lawyer or a politician. No, he's not. He's not going back to Ethiopia. So, mm -hmm. how do you know it's a he? Actually, I don't. I'm sorry. I just assumed, and I shouldn't have. No picture either. No. Pronouns, no. Why do we? Why are we so obsessed with gender? It's funny how we become a binor. What do you call it? Binary species. Mm. Most species are right. Binary. We have yeah, male. So, so we should say they. They are not going back. Can you tell me where I can look to find this prophecy? I think the prophecy that you were talking about before. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure about the one that Ajahn Tong refers to. I think it's been a long time, but I think I wasn't able to find it. There's another prophecy mentioned by Buddha Gosa in the commentary to commentary to the Vinaya, Julavaga 10, where the Buddha says that uh, inviting women in was inviting trouble and would have, if he hadn't instituted these these uh, heavy rules would have led to the Buddhasasana decreasing from 1,000 years. It would have lasted 1,000 years, but without, with allowing just allowing women to become monks without any rules, would have decreased the Buddhasasana. Would only last for another 500 years. But Buddhaghosa says, well, because he instituted those heavy rules. It was able to last another, it was able to last a thousand years. But then he also says a thousand years doesn't mean there'll be no Buddhism after that. It just means it's going to degrade. And he gives he gives a five thousand year span. But I think it's a little bit different from the one that Ajahn Tong cites. And I don't think I've been able to find don't think I was able to find the five thousand that he cites. But anyway, I don't know. I could probably look it up for you, but at this point. I can't think of it. Okay, next. Is it safe to say that the only thing we ever really own is our own kama? 
Yeah, sure. What do they say? Uh, come, come, yoni, come, patisaruna, come, bandu. I think there's something about karma, owner of our karma. What is the word? Kamabandu? No. Really, kamabandu means, that means bound to our karma. There's a word that means owner, owner of our karma. And it's actually used, I can't think of it right now. Kamasami maybe, kamasami. Sami means Lord. Or maybe that means karma is our Lord. I remember. Next. I'm just reading through the comments to see what your questions here. Are yes. you interested in servers? That that is the Stack Exchange question. Uh, answer yes, that's the one. Are you interested in a teaching position in a university that teaches psychology or related field? Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. That was a question for Hannah. I'm sorry. Are you sure? I don't know who it was for, actually. Are they chatting? People are chatting. <laughs> okay. Help me out here. Put a put a queue in front of your question if it's a question. Oh, put a queue and then a colon. Yeah, put a queue because there's so much stuff in here. Um, we can even... Uh, we can even add some code where if it starts with Q colon, it'll be highlighted. Then we actually know it's a question. No, but we can like highlight it so it shows up as a special. That would be great. Yeah, you'd think it wouldn't be so hard to tell what are the questions, but there's there's a lot here. You say a skilled labor position would be good for a lay Buddhist. What about an Astanga Oga instructor? I'm going to guess that's yoga. A what? Astanga Oga instructor. It must, must be yoga. Tanga yoga, yeah. Is that a thing? Yoga, yeah. yeah. Um, well, if yoga is actually good for people, it could be. I guess people say yoga is good for you. I think there's probably some... So yeah, you're doing something good for people. I wouldn't do it, personally. Because then you got to deal with people. Uh, but I think you're saying something about how you could you could teach meditation as well. There's something there. But then the problem is, as I said, you get into, uh, I've said before, you get into selling the Dhamma, right? And it's this whole money. Are you teaching because you want to help people? Obviously, but your motives get mixed, and it's sometimes hard to tell from moment to moment what your motives are and what the motives are of the people who are learning from you. But, you know, it's just the interaction with people and having, you know, when you teach yoga, you have to deal with people who are into yoga. And <laughs> that sounds awful. I don't mean to sound so judgmental, but Hindu philosophy is not Buddhist philosophy. And so there's people who are on a different spiritual trip and you'll have to deal with them. I would prefer to be a carpenter or I don't know. I mean, I'm not a very good carpenter. I probably would make a terrible, but I, mean, I know electrician. I could be an electrician with some training, I think. A plumber, I've done plumbing. Of course, in Thailand, plumbing is very different from plumbing here. 
plastic pipes. No, um, miles of plastic pipes through the forest kind of thing. And all those things are taught at um, technical high schools here in the U.S. for free. For so free. that's, yes, so for yeah. free. Yeah. Why would you bother? And if you want to learn, if you want to get into the IT field, you don't need to go to school for that. Although if you want to get the high paying jobs, they do require. But, you know. Maybe IT is probably one I wouldn't do either, except that I've got such a knowledge of it. Even then, I don't think so. Like if I were to disrobe for some reason, oh dear, don't let me even think about that. <laughs> Scary thought. But um, I don't know what I'd do. Jeez. Go live in Asia, maybe. Anyway. Um, no, but I think I'd still still prefer trade school how feasible is it and how quickly can you become a stream enter as a layperson depends on you it's um, all depends on your karma and perfections but Mahasi Sayada said an, an average person uh, should be able to get good results within a month I'll leave you with that paraphrase. Um, this is a clarification of the question before. Bhante, are you interested in a teaching position in a university or college that offers psychology? I think Buddhist psychology makes a big difference in helping people. No, I've thought about this now that I'm in university, um, at least part-time. But again, your your students are clients, right? I don't know. I mean, if you were teaching, a lot of people like teaching, and I guess university students don't really look at their professors as like providing a service. But still, as a monk, you can't really do that. Some monks do, but I think you can't do that because you're you're working for people. You know, you're grading papers and it's not the right environment if you had a free university maybe um but even then it would have to be a buddhist university like if i was teaching buddhism like that would be something i could do part-time if i did get my phd suppose somehow i eventually kept going and got my phd um then i can do teach like a buddhism course right because really when it comes down to if you're teaching a Buddhism course, then grading papers is still okay because it's about helping people learn Buddhism, I would think. No? Maybe that argument could be made. Not sure I'd want to, but it would be interesting. You know, it is a platform within which you can teach and you get a good selection of people. University students are pretty awesome for the most part. I think they drink too much alcohol, but besides that, most people drink too much alcohol. Ponte, I remember a video about a holiday that monks celebrate. It was something about a full moon. Is this part of the Dhamma? But, sorry, a holiday monks? 
a holiday that monks celebrate, something about a full moon, is this part of the Dhamma? Yeah, um, I mean, it depends what you mean by the Dhamma. It's part of the things that were taught by the Buddha, but it's also a Hindu tradition, a tradition in India, to take the full moon and the empty moon as sacred. And so it's adapted by Buddhists to be a, a time of meditation and heightened morality. It's called the Uposatha. And I believe tomorrow is the full moon. Is work based on physical activity preferred to work based on mental activity? I mean, hey, I have nothing to go by here. I don't, I can't think of any instance where the Buddha said such a thing, and it seems unlikely that he would have said such a thing. But it seems reasonable to suggest that if you're working with your mind, it's harder on your meditation. It's less easy to be mindful when you're working a mind job. If you're working a physical job, you can be mindful the whole time, right? Especially if it's repetitive, like tree planting or something. That makes sense to me. Not to diss you people who have uh, jobs where you have to think. No, but when we have jobs where you have to think, you see how hard it is to be mindful because your mind is occupied with details. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's not, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, really, because it's not to say that you're going to have unwholesomeness, much unwholesomeness during that time. It's not like you're going to need to get angry, and although people do get angry or whatever, but it does cut in more to your time. Physical labors, I think, there's an argument to be made for it being more conducive to mindfulness. Bhante, you said that mental illness was on a spectrum. Would you say the same about sexuality? This is a growing opinion in the U.S. That's an interesting question. I've never gotten that question before. I like that question. Um, I would, I would right away think that uh, on an ultimate level, absolutely. But, but realistically, no. Why? Because the the aspect of a man. What is it? The the, the sign of a man is categorically different from the sign of a woman, by definition. So, for most people, there is an attraction to one or the other. Now, sometimes a man is attracted to the sign of a woman, sometimes a woman is attracted to the sign of a man, but they're not the same thing. It's just like some people are attracted to the sign of, and what I mean by sign is the characteristic, but we use the word sign. It means when you see something, like when you see this, there arises in your mind the sign of a teapot, what we call the sign of a teapot. For most of you, for me, no, a sign of a water bottle. But no, I mean, I jest, but this, you have the sign of the McMaster University Religious Studies uh, thumb drive, which apparently has some interesting things on it. 
so the sign arises when you see a man or someone this is why when you see someone who is in a, what do you call um, what's the word for someone who is asexual not asexual but who, who who doesn't look like either a man or a woman sometimes it's hard to tell you know sometimes you'll see someone and you'll say oh that's that's a man and then they'll turn around and it's a woman or you know usually that way because few men dress up like women in you know stereotypically women's clothing but from behind you'll often see someone who looks like a man and turns around and there's a woman so the sign changes in your mind but we have that attraction now there are other kinds of attraction you could argue that someone could simply be attracted to the human body so there are aspects of the human body that have signs like these kind of characteristics that are not neither male or female um, so there are other ways of being attracted sexually to get a sexual arousal well, people can i think what could you argue their sexual arousal towards what pain could you argue that people get sexually aroused by pain asexual pain i don't know like not gender-based masochists right but i think masochism is probably usually still associated with the fact that it's someone of the opposite gender or the same gender who is hurting you or that's yeah that kind of thing um so it's not a spectrum in the same way at all, really. Because mental illness by spectrum, I just mean it's based, made up of mind states that are intense or less intense, right? But when we're talking about attachment, like there's attachment to heroin and there's attachment to cocaine, and those are two different kinds of, they're two different categories of attachment because a person who uh, is attached to, to heroin wants heroin. They don't want cocaine. Now they might be able to switch to take cocaine. It's not a very that's not a very good example, but so you get the idea. Basically, man and woman are two different things. So, I think it's going to always be more rare for people to be attracted to both genders. Now that being said, one person can develop attraction to both genders, and we see that happening. It's becoming more and more blurred as bisexuality becomes a thing, and people are less fixated on. I only like this gender. So they're reborn probably again and again as the same gender who is again and again attracted to the same, to the opposite gender. We're seeing less of that um, and more of this bisexuality. So it's becoming harder to really tell which, what your sexuality is. And, and that's reasonable. From a Buddhist point of view, that makes perfect sense because it's not... God didn't make us one way or the other. God doesn't want us. You know, it's nothing silly like that. Um, one is not more moral than the other or anything silly like that. Um, but there are, you know, to understand, you have to understand the mechanics of it and it's different from mental illness. It's, it's got different different way of working, except that underneath it's still based on, you know, it's still a mental illness. Sexuality is a mental illness. <laughs> Boom, there you go. So it is. There's a quote for you. Oh, is that what androgynous means? I thought androgynous meant look like looks like a man. Andro means man. I thought androgynous. Oh, andro and gyno. Gyno means woman, so andro-gyno. Is that it? 
Yeah, androgynous does mean, you know, that you you can't tell, or it could be either, or, or meant for both. I just saw the andro part and thought it meant looks like a man, like a woman who is androgynous looks like a man. Oh, but gyno is woman, androgyno. Pain that comes from physical labor has been a great meditation subject for me. That was just a, a comment there on the, uh, the previous. Yes. Because he's a laborer. Yes. So he's, he's, he must be happy with, the, with that answer. Yes, definitely. Or he can verify that answer or tell us that we're crazy. You see, the one problem you could argue, physical labor can be tiring. And when you're tired, it's harder to be mindful. So there is that. Whereas certain mental activities, mental labors, you could also argue that, I think you could also argue that, that work that helps people will make you refreshed and feel better. You can feel good about yourself. So it's, it's a complicated subject. Um, true, the best livelihood is, is to become a monk. That's the only, only best livelihood really because you're no longer seeking a livelihood. You're willing to die of starvation if you don't get any food. Bhante, is there anything special or auspicious in Buddhist culture about the lunar eclipse, supermoon tomorrow night, aside from taking the upasata? Why are you shouting my name? It's not my name. Why did he put that in all capitals? I'm not sure because we didn't answer him the first time? I didn't see it before. I might have missed it. This was someone who doesn't note. He says, I don't note, so I don't know. I don't see why not. I'm not sure I wanted to answer. He sounds kind of rude, actually. He or she. Am I allowed to, to say that? Well. I'm going to get down. <laughs> see, last night's video, I was joking with Robin. We got three, three down votes. Three... The video got three thumbs down, which is rare. Yeah. It's a little bit of an indicator that something went wrong last night. Okay, Austin, now you have to explain why you're you're using all caps and an exclamation mark and a question mark. And why you don't note. Yeah. Because that this this organ this whole thing is set up for those of us who do use the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to chase people away, but no. it makes it complicated if we get people in here who aren't following this tradition. And there's enough of us who are, so you know, let's keep focused, right? Yes. At the top of the page, there's the booklet that Bonte wrote on meditation, and always suggested to read that first. Yeah, because I mean, we don't enforce it, obviously, but theoretically. You're here because you're following the teachings in that booklet or, or the similar the sort of teachings that are in that booklet. Yeah. Otherwise you, with yeah. Them or you don't follow them. Mm. You know, there's lots of places you can go. Yeah, otherwise when people tend to ask questions that are just completely outside of the tradition, there's there's not much to say. You you know, I mean it's talking about someone else's tradition. Right. Okay, so Austin just wanted you to see it. He's not yelling at you. Oh, so well, is, the rule now is to put a Q colon. <laughs> That's the rule. That would help so much. 
and then I'll make a way. I can do it right now, probably. Make so, a, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. So, is there anything special about the super moon tomorrow night? I, I think it's called a blood moon or something like that. How should I know? Why are you asking me? Oh, he means in Buddhism? Yes. Um, no. No, there's nothing. Nothing. Okay. I sometimes like to practice being mindful while taking an ice bath because it makes it easier to note. Is this a waste of time? Also because it's hardcore. I think this is where I put face palm. <laughs> <laughs> see how many downvotes I can get wait how many downvotes we can get Luke we don't know what country you're in so I don't think yeah. I'm going to answer that one yeah not that bad of a question but I don't know I don't so. know I mean if you're taking an ice bath in Canada for example that's really really cold if you're taking an ice bath around the equator no, that's true. Not so hardcore. So, um, is it possible for a controlled rebirth, like into monkhood? Okay, it's not question mark colon, it's Q colon. You have to get it right. Austin got it right. Perfect. Yeah, that, that really actually helps a lot. No, he got it wrong. That's not a question. Well, Q, he, Q he got, <laughs> he got the, the sign right, but that's true. It's not a question. You know, I'm just teasing. But the question is, is it possible for a controlled rebirth, like into monkhood? Well, you can't be born a monk. So I don't know where you're going with that. But um, And you can, there's no such thing as control, but there's direction. Like if you think about something a lot. You well, the Buddha said that someone who has morality... Someone who is moral is able to direct their rebirth. Someone who is immoral, no no real chance. So it's based on your level of morality. Someone who's very moral is very much able to direct their mind. Okay, what were we... Ah, yes, this one. Now, uh, what color do we want it? Um, orange. Orange. Like the orange people. Oh, maybe not, because all of the uh, emoticons are sort of orangey. We could make them orange for those people who haven't meditated. <laughs> and green for those people who have. That would be fancy. That would be funny. So we <laughs> right away whether the person asking it was a meditator or not. That would be fancy and <laughs> very clever. Would that be, would that be, uh, would that be cruel? Um, a what little bit what because you, we, what do you we think, have. Guys? Should we go for the green-orange scheme for questions as well? Well, we have determined there are some people who, who are coming fresh from work or are even still at work who are going to be meditating afterwards. So, Maybe we don't want to, you know, make it too obvious. How can someone who is moral have control over rebirth or control over mind? I don't see the connection. Well, because morality is morality is 
for the purpose of focusing the mind. Morality is that which leads to concentration. So if you're not concentrated, then how can you possibly direct your mind? That's why morality is the basis of spiritual practice. I think I'm going to go for the orange-green scheme. But, you know, I mean, we'll still take orange questions seriously. It's just kind of funny. We can just oh, wait, point, this, point this it out. Cool. Orange and bean will be cruel for my eyes, right? Well, we'll change the background. The background doesn't have to be that ugly yellow. We'll make it white background, maybe. That would be nice. So let's see, how do we go about implementing this? Well, while you do that, I have a question. Robin, how did you find Yutadamo and how long have you studied? Um, I've been a Buddhist for two years now, and I found Venerable Yutadamo online when I was um, practicing with a group who basically said that uh, modern Buddhism was very different than um, anything that is taught in Theravada, and I had some very different ideas of different understanding of what Buddhism was about. And I saw Venerable Yutadamo online and started watching his videos and then went to go see him teach in person in, um, at, in Worcester, Massachusetts at a Catholic university, which was uh, kind of an interesting setting, but a wonderful teacher. And I've gone to do a meditation course and found it very, very valuable. I, see. I know what we're going to do. Yeah, so did you become a Buddhist um, before we met? Before yes. You before you practiced with, with um, this technique? Yes, I was a Buddhist before we met, but I was with a group that um, they they called it modern Buddhism. I don't I don't want to say the, the name of the sect, you know, but they considered it modern Buddhism. And they basically gave people in this group the impression that um, Theravada Buddhism was, was no longer around or that it wasn't appropriate for lay people, or that it wasn't around here. It was just, it was always, you know, kind of that, uh, kind of putting it down as something that was antiquated. Mm -hmm. And their flavor of Buddhism was the modern, the modern way to be a Buddhist. And it was, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was disappointing. It was, it was watered down Buddhism, is what it was in my opinion. And it didn't include much meditation. Like five minutes of meditation. That was it. Okay, here's the plan. Everyone, you can tell me what you think of this. I just found this. You all see that? So we take this image. It's way too big. We'll make it a lot smaller. And we replace the Q colon. Any, any, any uh, chat message that starts with Q colon We'll have the Q colon, and the Q can be capital or, or small. We'll make that either way. We'll be replaced with this image, uh, okay. either either in green or orange. That is great. Huh? <laughs> I can't believe you can do these things just on the spur of the moment. That is I, awesome. I, when I realized this 
some many years ago, I was trying to trying to put together this dictionary, the Pali English dictionary. We were trying to get well, we were doing we were doing something with it, and I was at first I was just going to put links to each page, but then uh, I found this little piece of JavaScript that was built into this front front page, this app called Front Page, which used to be a big thing. Um, and I said, "You can do that," <laughs> and, it was, and it was just blew me away. And oh, but that that means I can do this and this, and suddenly Pandora's box was open. And that's how the digital poly reader was born? It was another step in between. Whoa, what's going on there? Jeez, that was interesting. Um, but the other step involved a search engine. Um, there was this online, there was this JavaScript search engine thing. And I looked at the code of that and it was like, it was huge, but I was trying to adapt it. And I ended up adapting it and saying, oh, that's how this works. Oh, okay, okay. You know, it was really like learning a little new language without any instruction, just from reading texts, trying to learn the new language. No, not exactly, but there were some things you just look at and you say, what the heck does that mean? Like you'd get X equals equals Y, no, X equals Y equals equals Z question mark uh, A colon B semicolon. Totally incomprehensible. I remember banging my head about that one, trying to figure out exactly what that means. It's it's gibberish unless you, until you see what it's doing and then decipher it and say, "Oh wow, that means this," and it's actually kind of useful. Anyway, okay, so let's colorize this. What we're going to do? I'm going to export it. First, we have to make it small. How big are the smileys? Um. This, the emoticons are a little bigger than the letters. So I don't know how how many how many pixels they are. Hmm. If you right click on one of them, you can go view image info. They are nineteen by nineteen. So we'll make them as big as the, those ones. Let's see what happens when we turn this into a 19 by 19 image. You can all go home now. I'm not answering any more questions tonight. But if you want to see what it looks like with the new, the new yeah. question format, that's okay. going to be great. Well, this is a real hangout now. We're just hanging out. <laughs> Feel free to chat mindfully. Nineteen. We'll make it twenty. I don't know why they're nineteen by nineteen, but twenty is better. Whoa, that's really small. Hmm. Hmm. Didn't work out so well. I think I'm gonna redo it. So tell me what they're saying, Robin. Are people saying things in the chat? Um, just putting cues and colons to check and see if it works yet. Simon says he's home. Booby Trap says he's sticking around for question marks. And so is Joshua. All right, at the hard course. 
so now the the pressure is on. There are people waiting for you to. <laughs> uh -huh. People waiting for you to make this magic. Hmm. That worked well. Okay. Go ahead and ask a question, maybe. Uh... Maybe we can save it till tomorrow. That was no better. So yesterday we tried the the uh, general hangout there, and it worked. There were about eight of us in there, and yeah, I saw you chatting, but I couldn't get in. Yeah, there were a couple of black boxes. I think Bond had an idea about people who use um, VoIP telephone service on their PC. I. I didn't read it too closely, but was some some possible connection if you're using um, your PC for VoIP, I think. Telephone service. Okay. Sorry, I encouraged more questions. I shouldn't have done that. Can you answer some questions while you're doing that? You can answer them. Okay. You, if you can't answer them, or you answer them, and then I'll, pit, I'll what do you call, chip in? Butt in. Butt in. <laughs> can one practice simply noting and know nothing intellectually about Buddhism and still reach arahantship? I think they probably could. Because Buddhism, of course, wasn't around when the Buddha became enlightened, so. What do you think, Bhante? I wasn't listening. Oh, sorry. Can one practice simply noting and know nothing intellectually about Buddhism and still reach arahantship? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's already knowing a lot about Buddhism. This is the thing, what were we, we were, uh, as someone, I've, I don't know if I mentioned if I mentioned this, but during the Clubs Fest thing, someone came up and asked, I don't know, during our meditation session, someone came up and asked, uh, why don't you just do a, a meditation, a secular meditation group? And uh, so Aditya told me this afterwards, that this guy had asked this, and I said, well, Buddhism is secular. <laughs> 
Because, you know, it's, it's not about knowing, you know, Buddhism is that, but you're learning how to note ultimate reality. You've already learned quite a bit. Yeah. Buddhism, when it gets overly intellectual, becomes a whole different thing. That's That was a little bit of my complaint on, on Stack Exchange recently. It became very, very intellectual and mm. intellectual chess match, but that seems to have quieted down. In my sitting meditation, when I know the rising and falling of my breath, there's a bit of tension and I notice my breathing isn't totally free. Does it get more comfortable over time? Any advice? Well, if I'll take a crack at answering it. Um, your breath isn't supposed to be comfortable. You're just supposed to note what it is. And uh, with Satipatthana meditation, you know, noting what it is, comfortable or not, is is the important thing. You're not you're not trying to make it comfortable because we don't have, you know, we're we're not able to control that sort of thing. So just noting what it is is what you would do. Oh, see here we have a problem. Hmm. Can't do that. Okay, Cosmos says black box means no web camera, but actually, somebody, some people who had webcams um, were not able to see. So it was it was something a little bit different than just not having a webcam at all. Neo says he can live levitate birds, but no one cares. I'm not sure what that means. Booby Trap says he d he can't provide the same wisdom that Venerable Yutadamo can, but yes, it does get more comfortable with time. My stomach would be tight in the first few minutes, but would relax as I sat longer. Well, that's a good point that you do relax over time, but your your breathing will probably never be comfortable or perfect. It's sometimes it's ragged, sometimes it's shallow, sometimes it's deep. But as long as you know what it is. Robin, which Buddhist text do you read on a frequent basis? Any recommendations for a newbie? Um, definitely Bhante's book on how to how to meditate, up at the top of the page, real important. So you know, understand the tradition that we're talking about nightly here. Um, then there's the general, um, what the Buddha taught, and Things that I read on a regular basis. I'm reading some of uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's The Middle Length Discourses. But I haven't been reading a lot lately. I'm just not having as much time to read, so that's kind of taken a back seat for now. All right, here we go. Q. Right, Q colon 
insensitive. Beginning Q colon case insensitive. Place with image class equals smiley. Make it a smiley source equals. And here's where we use that wacky. give us an error message so I might crash this whole site just by hitting save but everyone refresh your page and let's see what happens oh there's oh. something different didn't work well there's something there though it says question start your post with Q Q colon but I know what's wrong it means that it's working but we have to add the relative images. Now it should work. Yo, there you are. Oh, that is awesome. That is perfect. Do you have any green ones? No. Um, there should be some green ones, so something's still wrong. Everything is yellow so far. Okay, so we have to look and figure out why that is right i got it okay this one but it should still be mm. oh i think you know what it's because it's doing one thing and then another and it's not case sensitive, which is good. Um, yeah, the problem is it hasn't gotten the list of meditators yet. So let's see if I can do this in a different order. That might really mess things up. I don't think so. Okay. Hmm. 
Yeah, this will be fine. Okay. Refresh again. Yay. Yes. That is even better. It's kind of weird having the question mark at the beginning, but. That's perfect, though, really. I mean, it, it just, that's going to make things so much easier. <laughs> Thank you, Bante. I think I'm going to take those parentheses out. Should I, on the on the hover, should I put non-meditator question? Orange <laughs> means you did a bad batch. <laughs> no. No. Good, no. For, for the people who are earnestly going to do their meditation after the session. But if you have an orange question there, you know. You know yourself. That was a serious improvement. Hmm. That's the, that's another thing about having your own script, right? Because that wasn't difficult. But if you but you're stuck with whatever. This is really the um, it's the same argument for open source software. It's so much more community friendly. It creates. Yeah. A feeling of community and that's why they talk about communities around linux and so on it's just the yeah. whole philosophy behind it there's when people talk about android versus um, i over you know apple versus android and it's not it's not an equal argument and people who believe in android are often because philosophically and ethically you know just in terms of the goodness factor it's a totally different ball game and google is a huge corporation but they've done things right they've opened it up they've helped the world honestly they've done things to for the good of people oh, yeah i, I mean, mean on a material level they've and they are also doing spiritual stuff but that's a different thing and they, they give away stuff for free i mean it, yes there's tons of you know there's tons of advertisements but when yeah. you think of the services the google services that we use maps and email and everything <laughs> it's yeah. free everybody gets it but, but free is also the free and open source software movement says free is another has another meaning in terms of being you can modify it mm -hmm. you can modify i'm using a modified version of android on my phone anyway 
So it's been almost two hours. That's got to be a record. Yes. Things. I think let's end on a high note. Anthony has one comment here. Bhante, the chat automatically scrolls to the bottom when a new message is posted. Is it possible to have it not do that? That's by design, I think, um, because you want to know when people are, I mean, maybe some people don't, but I guess, right, it gets kind of a problem when people are posting lots and lots of messages. Yeah, that's what happens when I, I start to read a question and then all of a sudden it flies right off my screen. And well, we, because, could uh, little, we could put a little check mark and, you know, auto scroll kind of thing. Auto scroll on new question. And then each person could choose to click that or not, and who it'll it'll add, it'll look and see whether you've checkmarked it. But whatever, you know, first world problems. <laughs> Definitely. Not a showstopper. No. But I understand for Robin's sake, I'll have to have. Um, yeah. It's it's not a big deal, as you know. I just stop and scroll around and look for it but yeah. but this is great here with the question marks hmm. little things like that that you can do yes okay good night everyone thank you bante good night good night